Well, if you were here last week, you heard that I was a little bit frazzled because my computer hard drive had crashed. The last time that I backed it up was November 11th of 2011. (laughs) Oh, mercy. Uh, At one point, it was actually ticking. Now, when your computer starts to tick, that's not a bomb. That is your hard drive mechanically failing. Well, I'm so grateful to... Bob Rytel and his son Rob, uh, they've come to my rescue this week and I've been able to uh, uh, get it going, get the data off, and they're installing a new hard drive on it this weekend. And that was, that was a test for me, kind of a self-inflicted uh, test, but God brought a test into my life in order to see how genuine my faith was in Him. He wanted to see how I would respond to that. Would I get angry? Would I get frustrated? Uh, how would I depend upon Him? That type of situation. We're going to be talking about tests today that God brings our way as we continue in our series on the Lord's Prayer. We're in the third installment of this three-week series. and the last two weeks, I've been talking about how to use the Lord's Prayer as a guide in your daily office. So if you weren't here last week, please go to the website, listen to it, download it off of iTunes, and listen to that part of the message and this message. Then I would continue, I would encourage you uh, throughout this year to continue to listen to these messages once in a while. That's my goal, is to give you a tool to use in your daily office. You might be saying, well, what's a daily office? Well, a daily office is a time that you set alone to be with God. And we encourage you to have three daily offices a day. Uh, For example, you want to hopefully set them at the same time uh, every day. So 7 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and 6 o'clock. Morning, noon, and evening. Now, if you have a quiet time of devotions, you wrap that into the daily office. And maybe that's whenever you typically have that. But the other times, you maybe just spend two to five minutes at the minimum. Two to five minutes just acknowledging God, maybe praying the Lord's Prayer, uh, connecting with Him. Uh, this pattern of the Lord's Prayer, praying it, I learned from uh, the teaching of Peter Scazzaro, who also taught us about the daily office and emotionally healthy spirituality. And I just got, I want you guys to own this. We want to give you as many tools as we can so that your time one-on-one with God uh, can be meaningful and impact your life. So let's uh, read the Lord's Prayer together here, Matthew 6, 9 through 12. It says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, last week we talked about how you can use this in your daily office. You see in this next slide how it breaks out. First of all, our. So you just stop. You say our. And that gives you the idea that it's the global body of Christ. It's all Christ followers around the world. So you just want to take some time to pray for Springbrook. Pray for your own community as we move into our heart-strung 
vision campaign next week. Next week is the kickoff. You want to make sure that you're here because we're going to have a great time talking about the future and what I believe God wants to do through our ministry together. Uh, but be praying uh, for our heartstrong gatherings. They're going to start next Sunday all the way through Saturday, as Rich was talking about. And when you see the Springbrook ID on your phone, you pick up that phone and say, Yes, I am coming. I am excited. Just tell me what to do. Tell me where to be. Because <laughs> we're going to have great times uh, together. Be praying for that. And then we move on. Our Father who art in heaven. We talked about Father being Abba, our Daddy. Uh, an intimate relationship with God. And so many people don't see God that way. This is critical to your prayer life in terms of how you view God, your image of who God is. And if you don't view Him as a loving Father, you're going to struggle in praying to Him. That's so important. Hallowed be thy name. Make known the name of God. So if I'm sitting there at noon, having my daily office, and I'm going through the Lord's Prayer, uh, hallowed be thy name. Lord, as I go through the rest of this day, give me opportunities to give praise to you. Give me an opportunity to share with someone about what you've done in my life, how you've answered a prayer request uh, that uh, I've given to you, uh, how you have changed me, or something about the, the church community that I'm a part of. Hallowed be your name. I want other people to know how great you are. And thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Not my kingdom, right? But God's kingdom. We have all... We have all kinds of kingdoms. We're kingdom builders. You know, i got my family kingdom and my relational kingdom and my financial kingdom and I've got my career kingdom. And we're all about that, building our kingdoms. But friends, if we're Christ followers, we start out with God's kingdom and everything aligns with God's kingdom. Lord, I want Your kingdom to come into my life. I want to want what You want. I want to seek what You want. I want to do Your work in the kingdom here on earth. Thy will be done. Not my will, but God's will. So as you're praying in the evening, at your daily office, and you think through the rest of the night, you say, Lord, let me see if if what I'm thinking about my night tonight aligns with your will. Just kind of pray through the evening. And say, okay, how can I do your will? What do you want me to do? Give us this day our daily bread physical, spiritual, emotional, and material needs. Everything we need to get through today. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to handle this day. i got so many things on my plate. I just give it to you. And I pray that you'll provide whatever I need. So that's the first part of the prayer. Now let's move on to the next part of the prayer. The next part is forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Debts is an unusual word. It's another word for sin. In fact, there are five different Greek words for sin. We only have one word, sin. There are five different Greek words. And this particular word has the uh, emphasis on financial debt. Debt on a ledger. You owe someone some money. So we're saying to God, forgive us our debts. So it's the idea of the sin that we've committed against God. That's a debt that we owe God. We need to be penalized for that. And we've 
sinned against other people in our lives. We owe a debt to them because we've hurt them. We've sinned against ourselves. We've abused ourselves. We've not taken care of our bodies and our minds. And therefore, that's a sin against ourselves. And they're all sins against God. So we have all these debts out there that we owe. And God says, if you don't do anything about settling those debts, you're going to spend eternity paying for those debts. But that is a core of the gospel. Is that Jesus Christ came down to pay the penalty for our debts. All of our debts He paid for. And if we embrace the grace that God offers us, if we come to Him empty-handed and say, I can't work my way to heaven, but I'm going to just embrace what you have. I'm a sinner. i got nothing. When that happens, God forgives you of all of your sin, past, present, and future. So the question in this prayer is, why are we saying God forgive us our sins when He's already done it? Well, it's more the idea of confession at this point. So let's say that you sin. Let's say you have a very say, envious thought towards someone. And you say, man, I, I shouldn't be envying. You go to God, and what you do is you confess that sin. You see, we have a relationship with God. Nothing can touch that relationship. But we also have a harmony with God. And if we sin, it creates disharmony in our relationship. It's like a marriage relationship, right? You have a relationship with your spouse or a relationship with your child. Or, and again, it's a relationship. might not be a good relationship, but you want it to be a good relationship. And, and every time there's problems in that relationship, it creates disharmony. So you want to bring the harmony back in. And God says, the way you bring the harmony back into the relationship so you can stay close to me is you come to me and you say, I confess, I agree with you that that envy was a sin. You need to agree with God. You need to face the facts. God, I was wrong. I sin. So you confess a sin, you agree with God that it is sin, and then you say, I claim your forgiveness. Forgiveness He's already given you. You're just reminding yourself that God's already forgiven you for that. But as you go through that process of agreeing with God and then confessing, or confessing the sin and then claiming that forgiveness, it restores that harmony in your relationship with God. So as you walk through every day, you need to be asking the Spirit to point you and convict you of sins in your life. And so you're going through your day, and all of a sudden you find out, oh, man, I lost my temper. So you might have to apologize to somebody else, and you confess that to God. Lord, I confess that losing my temper and uh, saying those things was wrong, sinful. I claim your forgiveness. And then you move on. Then when you're in your daily office, you should have a time when you reflect upon the day or the last day that you uh, lived and, and say, okay, Lord, point out to me where I sin. Because we're, we're not even aware of most of our sins. We really are not. We're only aware of maybe about 20% of our sins at one time. There's so many sinful thoughts going through us that we don't even think about. There's things that, that, that are just a part of who we are because of our you know, generations past, sinful thoughts patterns have been passed, like racism is down through uh, the generations. We don't even think about it as sin. because The Holy Spirit hasn't convicted us, so we're denying it. But the point is, is that there's so much sin in our life. So if you think, like, I get all the sins confessed before I'm good with God, forget it. <laughs> now, all the known sins, you need to deal with those, but you let the Holy Spirit work and point uh, those out 
in your life and you can maintain a strong relationship with Him. And that, that's beautiful, isn't it? That God has offered all that wonderful grace and we can just embrace it and we can feel forgiven. I tell you, there are so many people out there who don't know Jesus who just carry the guilt around with them. They've hurt people. They've hurt themselves. They've made a mess of things like we all do. And they, they can't get forgiveness from anybody. Because the only one who can truly forgive is God. And we, we've got that gift. So, that's what you reflect upon when you think about uh, forgive us. Uh, the next part of the Lord's Prayer is forgive our debtors. Forgive our debtors. Matthew 6.12 And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I like the first part. And forgive us our debts. That's cool. I like to be forgiven. But I don't know about forgiving other people. That, that's hard to do because they, they've hurt me. No, they hurt my feelings and they said things about me. They cheated me. Yeah, I, why should I forgive them? Yeah, that, that's very difficult, Lord. I, I, I don't know. Uh, how, does that, how does that work? I mean, think about your life right now. Think about one person you're struggling to forgive. Maybe you, have, you haven't even started to think about forgiving them. <laughs> yeah. One person you're angry at. Okay? I want everybody to get that in your mind because we're going to use that person as we work throughout this. Okay, everybody's got somebody in their mind? Anybody need any help? <laughs> okay, get that person in your mind. All right? Are you ready to forgive them is the question. Well, listen, there are some litmus tests that tell us how spiritually mature we are. The first thing is money. How you handle your money. We talked about that earlier uh, this year. Uh, the way you manage your money, the way you manage it for God, and the way you're generous to God, that says a lot about your spiritual life and how much you love God. Here's another one. The way you forgive other people. You have a forgiving spirit. Think about that one person. Are you forgiving them? Look what Jesus Christ says in Matthew 5:44-45. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. What? Wait a second. First of all, I have to forgive them. Then I have to love them. I'm not giving any more energy to that person. No way. And then you want me to pray for them? That's not normal. That's not normal behavior. You're exactly right. That's supernatural behavior that only comes through people who know Jesus Christ and have the power to be able to do that. Okay? That's how that happens. So the, the point is, is that if this is the way you live your life, if you do love your enemies, if you do pray for those who persecute you, if you see that growing in your life, you know that you're growing in Christian character. You're developing that spiritual muscle. How are we doing out there? Let me tell you the parable of Jesus Christ about the king and the servant. That might give you a little more insight on this out of Matthew chapter 18. The story is of a king who brought his servant before him who owed millions and millions of dollars. And the king said to this servant, because of your debt, I am going to sell you and your wife and children into slavery. So they did back in those days. So, Let's see how the man responded. Verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. So he's pleading for his life and that of his family. 
The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Canceled the debt and let him go. Can you imagine that guy walking out of the palace, just jumping all around? Oh, my life! i got a new lease on life! I'm going to go home and tell my wife and my kids we're going to have a great celebration because we are now free! So they go home and have a great party, and the next day the guy's out. And uh, he sees a guy and owes him some money. He owes him a hundred denarii, about ten dollars, ten dollars, and he just becomes just filled with rage. This guy owes me ten dollars. He hasn't paid me. He said he would pay me, and he goes up to the guy and he starts choking him. Give me my money! And what does the guy say? The guy says, "Hey, listen, please be patient with me." The same thing that. The servant had said to the king, please be patient with me. I'll pay it back. There's no possible way. You're going down. I'm sending you to debtor's jail until you pay it off. The king hears about this. So he brings the servant back in. And the master king called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. That's, a, that's an image of hell there. All right? Hmm. So, we reflect upon this passage. And every time I've read this passage, I said, what a fool. I mean, come on. You're given a new lease on life. You no longer have to have your whole family to go in slavery, and you are so petty to go after $10? Don't you remember what just happened to you? How foolish can you be? Who's the fool? I'm the fool. I'm the fool. Because Jesus Christ has forgiven me of all my sins. And sometimes when people hurt me, when they say things about me, do things, I get angry at them. And I refuse to forgive them. You're the fool. We're all the fools, aren't we? I mean, really, if you truly understood the nature of what Jesus Christ did for you, you would forgive freely. But again, we're sinful, so we don't do that. Do we? we? We don't fully appreciate the depth of our sin, how, how truly sinful we are. Even when we come to Jesus and say, Lord, I can't earn my way to heaven. I've got to put my faith in you. We still got a lot of baggage. We still, still think we're pretty good. Okay? So on the good scale, I come to Christ. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I can't do it on my own. But I'm still about 50% good. Okay? So that means I'm 50% better than most people. Oh, Come on, 75%. I'm that good. 75%. I'm 75% good. I'm, I'm far from perfect, but let's say I'm not a rapist, I'm not a murderer, you know, all these other terrible things that, that people are. So what we tend to do is if we're at 75%, if somebody commits a sin that we might commit, maybe tell a little lie or something of that nature, we might give them grace. We might forgive them. But I tell you what, if they commit a sin that we say, I'd never do that. Oh, no way are they getting grace from me. 
Because, you see, I'm at a certain level of goodness, and they're not. And that's a lie from Satan, isn't it? Because you are at zero, zero percent of goodness on your own. You got nothing. You got nothing. You would be scared if God revealed to you in a moment how sinful you were. You'd be petrified. You'd go running. That's not me. Yes, it is you. You just don't see it all. It's so deep and buried inside. We just keep thinking, I'm a lot better than that people say I am or God thinks I am. No, you're not. So you've really got to come to, to grips with how sinful your heart is, how selfish you are, how spiteful you are, how self-absorbed you are. How evil you are. The evil thoughts that come into your mind. The the thoughts of revenge. Oh, we're great at planning revenge, aren't we? Yeah, that's why we love revenge movies so much. You know, it's all about this really bad, bad guy. The whole movie's showing you how bad, bad this guy is. And at the very end, the good guy gets the opportunity to kill the bad guy. And they take about ten minutes to do it. There's a long conversation. Well, but, you know, that's just going on, you know. So we can fully appreciate, oh, yeah, he's getting what he deserved. And that's exactly how we feel about other people. I, I want to remain in control here, right? Uh, one of the challenges that we have in forgiveness is, first of all, we don't realize how sinful we are. We don't, we don't realize how rich God's grace is. It wasn't cheap, man. It came at a high price. But if Jesus Christ, God himself, had to come down to earth to pay the penalty, that's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? I'd say so. That's our first problem. The second problem is we don't understand forgiveness. We've picked up ideas about forgiveness. And some people think, okay, well, if I'm going to forgive this person, that means that, first of all, I've got to forget it. i just got to pretend it never happened. And then I've got to release this person from any consequences that they might experience. And, oh, I've got a whole list of consequences that they should experience, but I've got to give it all up. And then I've got to do it like in a one-time event. You know, I come down and I kneel and I forgive this person, and it's over. All of a sudden, I'm just going to be filled with love toward this person. And I'm going to run to their house. And I'm going to say, I forgive you, and I'm going to wrap my arms around them, and we're going to have a better relationship than we had before. And you're saying, no way am I doing that. Are you crazy? All right. Now, let me tell you what the Bible says about forgiveness. First of all, you don't forget. You always remember. You always remember it. But but you don't hold it against them. That's the key thing about forgiveness. You don't hold it against the person anymore. Uh, we want to we want to hold on to it. We want to control it so we can you know meet out the revenge. We're waiting for that time, and we can meet out the revenge. And we get back at them, by gossiping and you know trying to make their life difficult. Whatever. That, that's how typically we we operate. But it's the idea of letting go. And, and the only the only motive for forgiving another person is because Jesus Christ has forgiven you. That's all you need. You can care less about the person. But Jesus Christ forgave you. That's the only motive you need to forgive that person. And it's more than enough motive. Now, consequences, 
You give that over to God. God's a perfect judge. You're a terrible judge. You're filled with hate. Nobody wants to be under your judgeship. You, know? you, you just release it to God. And it's not just a one-time decision. Forgiveness is a process. Dependent upon how deeply someone hurts you, that's how you're going to, to respond to them in regards to forgiveness. If they hurt you a little bit, forgiveness might take a couple of weeks. If they really hurt you, I mean, if you were abused as a child, if uh, your spouse had an affair, if your child just rebelled against you and is still rebelling against you, oh, that's hard. That's hard. That's going to take a long time to forgive. But it, it starts with one step. Say, Lord, I don't have the feelings for this. But because you told me to and because you've given me all this grace, I'm going to release this anger and this feeling for revenge and get him back. Now, again, that's just the first step. And one minute later, you get mad again at the person. Well, I just forgave them. That, I thought those emotions were going to go away. No, no, no. Emotions last over a long time. So one minute later, you have to go to God and say, Lord, I forgive that person again. Five minutes later, that uh, emotion comes up, those thoughts. Lord, I forgive that person again. Half hour later, those emotions come up. Lord, I forgive that person again. Some of you are going to have to forgive somebody 10,000 times. 10,000 times before it really sinks in to your heart. Because the thoughts and emotions are going to keep coming based upon how deeply that person hurt you. But you're on the right track. We need to recognize the fact that we have emotions. And yeah, we're angry at people for what they did to us. But God, if, if we allow Him into the process, He is going to restore that relationship. Or at least restore uh, your, your health. And not necessarily restore the relationship. We'll talk about that in a second. But, but restore your health. So it's not eating you alive. That, that's a crazy thing about bitterness. We let it eat us alive. The other person's forgotten about the fact that they said this or did that. And we're just stewing about it. And it affects our physical, mental, spiritual health. It's stupid. You know why uh, people who are elderly many times are bitter? Because they never learned to forgive. And they've had so many years of relationships and hurts. And they're just, they, they don't want relationships with anybody, really. Maybe just a few close people that they love and trust, but it's kind of like this world has beat me up way too much. And life is going downhill, of course, as you age, and, and they become bitter people because they don't have Jesus Christ. Or maybe they have Jesus Christ, but they don't you know, really understand His grace and why they should forgive other people. So again, it's a process you need to live out. And uh, the last point is that... Uh, you don't necessarily need to reconcile with that person. Because usually it doesn't work, unfortunately. Because the first thing you need to understand, let me, let me say another thing here. Trust is a critical issue in a relationship. Trust is at the center of every relationship. The more you trust a person, the closer you're going to grow to them. That's why infidelity in marriage and other issues that are trust breakers are so devastating to a marriage. And that's why it's so difficult to rebuild that trust. But you've got to because if you're a committed Christ follower, you need to 
keep working on the relationship. You made a commitment to it. That person sinned against you, but you've got to rebuild that relationship. And I've seen couples, it takes years to rebuild a trust after some type of major uh, sin. Uh, so so that, that's something you need to do. Now, again, if it's a person that's not part of your family, per se, uh, you can seek to reconcile with them, but you kind of have to seek God out and what that means. Because typically what happens is you can go to the person and say, I forgive you for what you did to me. And they'll say, well, wait a second. I'll tell you what you did to me. You know, and I'll go say why, you know. I mean, it's okay to let some relationships go. I mean, you, you really got to pray to God and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this relationship? What do you want me to do? You want reconciliation in this relationship. And in reality, friends, it's very few, you know, if there's something significant to happen in a relationship, in terms of reconciliation, you know, good friends being good friends again after something serious take, take, has taken place in a relationship, uh, people just aren't that spiritually mature. And, and many times it's just because the other person is not willing to move along with it. They don't want reconciliation. So that's okay. If the person doesn't want reconciliation, you do what you want to do, what you could do, and, and let it be at that. I mean, most relationships are never the same. And now, now if you really work at it, and if it's God's will and you work through that, they can be stronger, certainly with marriage relationships uh, and uh, relationships with your children. But it's difficult. It's hard, hard work to forgive. But God can transform your life through it. I was talking with a woman last night, and she was uh, responding to what I had taught, and she said, yeah, that really makes a lot of sense because I have a brother who's dying. and But he's verbally abusive to me. I get on the phone with him. I go to visit him. And uh, I, don't, I don't want to be around him, but at the same time, he's my brother and he's dying. And I said, listen, you don't ever have to talk to your brother again. If he's going to verbally abuse you, you put up that boundary. You write him a letter. Tell, you, tell him how much you love him. Share the gospel with him and tell him why you can't relate to him. And if he'd like to talk about it, give you a call. But you, we've got to protect ourselves here, friend, friends. Don't allow people to continue to sin against you if possible. Right? I pray for you as you, you work through that. Think about that person again. And again, ask God to do a new work in your life. To grow deep spiritually by forgiving this person. Something you thought you might never do. And again, if it's a deep, deep hurt, you know, you should talk to somebody about it. Talk to me. Talk to a pastor, small group leader. Many people need counseling to work through it because it's so deep in their childhood possibly that they don't even know how to uncover it, all the hurt and pain that they've experienced. All right, uh, let's move on to the next one. And lead us not into temptation. And lead us not into temptation. Um, okay. Uh, that's Matthew 6.13. But deliver us from evil. Do you realize this is how he ends the prayer? Jesus ends the prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you say, well, wait a second. Where is the, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that's, that's the best part, right? That's the crescendo. Amen. Oh, yeah, we ended on a bright spot. Yes, go God. Well, that really wasn't written by or spoken by Jesus. <laughs> Sorry to break that to you. Yeah, that was kind of added on. You find it in the KJV, and, of course, that's where we get the Lord's Prayer typically that we say. And uh, but nah, that, That's how they ended most prayers in those days. I mean, it's okay if, if you say it to God, that's fine. But this, for this context of teaching, he did not end it that way. 
This is the way he ended it. And I think it's kind of a downer. How about you? <laughs> but deliver us from the evil, and that really means evil one in original language. It's talking about Satan there. So deliver us from Satan. I don't know. I like the beginning of the prayer a lot better. Abba, Father. Oh, God. Oh. It's all about you, God. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Ah, oh. that's beautiful, isn't it? And then we start to go downhill. <laughs> forgive us our debts. Well, that's so good, you know. And help us to forgive others. Well, that's a little painful. Now, and lead us not into temptation. What's that all about? Why would God ever think about leading us into temptation? Well, you see that that's impossible in James 1.13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So God can't tempt you to evil. He's holy. He's pure. He's not going to tempt anyone. Right? So how do we figure this out? Well, there's one Greek word that has two different meanings. This Greek word either means test, like I talked about with my computer, that God brought to me through a test to test my faith in Him. Or it can mean temptation, like Satan would bring temptation into our lives. So, that's the problem that we have here. All right? Uh, now, in James 1-2, it has the idea of test. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, <laughs> what? What are you talking about? It's not like a up and, hey, I got another trial. Got another problem. My car broke down. I want lots of money. Yeah, they're calling. They're calling for my bills. Isn't that wonderful? I'm growing, man. I am surging into the future. My spouse just, you know, we had a terrible fight last night. And they said terrible things to me. Oh, my life is good. Doesn't mean that, okay? What it means is there's a deep inner joy knowing that even though you're going through so much pain and so much suffering, that you're going to come out the other end like Jesus. That's the joy he's talking about there, okay? That's the test that God has for you because God values faith so much. First Peter 1 7. He's talking uh, to individuals who are going through a lot of problems, a lot of trials. These people are really suffering. These have come, he's talking about these trials, these problems, these pains have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. You know that God just is so impressed with your faith. It's more important than gold. Gold's going to perish someday. God values your faith much higher than any type of material Possession. That's what he wants to build in you is faith. So that your faith, the problems have come, so your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What you need to realize, I know we don't like to hear this, is that Christianity, becoming a Christ follower, is not a self-improvement program. Christianity is not a tool you use to experience the American dream. Christianity is not a promise that your life will be Disney World. Christianity is Jesus Christ entering your life 
in order that you might be reconciled to God, in order that you might become like Jesus Christ through His power, in order that you might experience life as God intended it, which will bring true joy. That's what the Christian life is about. And in order for that to happen, God has to allow tests in your life to build your faith. Because if He doesn't bring any problems along, you're just going to go coasting along, things are great. When things are not great, you all kinds of garbage down in your life, all kinds of sins that need to be dealt with. You're not refined. You know, with 100,000 ounces of material that has gold in it, once they work through that and they refine it, they use a refiner's fire, that's what it's talking about here, and they burn it away, you only get one ounce of pure gold. 100,000 to one ounce. There's an ounce of pure gold somewhere here in Dan Harrison. And God's trying to uncover it. But He has to do a lot of digging. Get <laughs> there, right? Now, that's the refining process, but that's the goal in life, is that God's going to get the gold out of Dan. As Dan submits to him, people are going to see more and more gold in Dan's life. They see a lot of other stuff, too. But <laughs> they're patient. Uh, but they're going to see gold there in Dan's life. And they're going to give God the glory. Not Dan the glory, but God the glory, because God is at work in Dan, and God, Dan's faith is growing. But Dan's got to go through a lot of tests, a lot of tests. When you become a Christ follower, God has tests for you every day of every week for the rest of your life. Set up for you in order that you might be refined, in order that your faith might be pure. So, friends, you're going to have a new test this week in your life. There's no doubt about it. I guarantee it. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to have a new problem in my life this week. Just go ahead and do that. I'm going to have a new problem in my life this week. Yeah. Yeah. Now you say, and I'm so joyful about it. Say it again. I'm so joyful. Stop lying there. Stop lying to that person next to you. <laughs> I hope I'm joyful. <laughs> you know? I mean, if I respond in the right way, usually we just see it as interference, a barrier, something that needs to be removed from our lives. You know, the you know, alarms start going off. You know, impurity, impurity. You know, my life's not going the way I want it to go. But we need to go, oh, Wow. Another test, another trial, another classroom to grow in. Thank you, God. Not real happy about it right now. Feeling kind of down about it. Maybe a little angry, but in the end, I know it's going to be good. Right? Now, this is so important to understand here, guys. Right? Now, this is where Satan gets involved. So, God brings these tests along for you. And what happens is, is that Satan... It's right in the middle of the test. Just when you're feeling the worst. Just when you're so tired and you're so disappointed and you're depressed. And Satan says, you know, I don't really know if God has the best in mind for you. I don't think God's agenda matches yours. I, I think he's hiding something on you. Who do you say that to first? Eve, right? What's so special about that tree? Why doesn't God want you to eat it? He's holding out on you. He's holding out on you. And Satan just tempts us in the midst of our trials. You see, that's the difference. God's testing us, but Satan can so easily use that to 
to have us doubt God's goodness. That, that's the nature of sin. We, we're doubting God's goodness and what he, He's asking us to do. And it's so easy. I tell you. Let me tell you. Um, I told you about my father and how last uh, May uh, I had to put him in a nursing home. He's a very stubborn man. Great man, but very stubborn. <laughs> and I had to go to the court to put him in the nursing home. And it was a long year. And he wasn't happy he was in a nursing home. And he had Alzheimer's. He couldn't take care of himself. And, and uh, um, just yesterday, uh, they called me and said that he had taken a turn for the worse and that he has pneumonia now, which, again, he should have had a long time ago because he was aspirating 5% of everything he ate since September. I'm thinking, you know, a month. And, again, all quality of life is gone for him, just all types of agitation, and he doesn't know me anymore. And uh, So we were just kind of waiting for that time to come. And uh, so I talked to the doctor last night, and he said, you know, no more than five days. And obviously, you know, that, that hits you emotionally. And But I was also thinking, God, God, do you really think this is the best timing? Um, you know, my father-in-law ever died a month ago. And my wife and I walked through that. And I'm right in the middle of this HeartStrong uh, campaign. And I'm really excited about it, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> It's a lot of work. And uh, now, God, really? I mean, now you want to take my dad? I mean, you could have taken him two months ago. That would have been fine. We've just been waiting for you know this process to take place. Or you could have waited a month. I mean, have you looked at my emotional calendar? Have you? Because I don't think you have. Because you are overwhelming me right now. And then you throw the computer in there as well. I mean, really? Are you thinking ahead? Yeah, I thought that. And of course, I thought it again, rethought it, and realized that God was saying, Dan, I'm just testing you and putting you through the refining fire. Yeah, you got nothing, Dan. You're emotionally strung out, and you got, you're going to have to trust in me. <laughs> you're going to have to trust in me to this one, because that's what I want you to learn, Dan. You have got to trust in me. You just trust way too much in yourself. Say, okay, God. Okay, I'll, I'll just continue to pray for your sustaining strength to this. And, and friends, you know, I, I, I could be tempted to say, God, what are you doing? You know, I start to doubt God's judgment and wondering if he really loves me or not. There's a lot of ways that Satan could tempt me in this situation uh, to kind of be disillusioned by God's timing. And that's and he's done it before. You know, he's got me before. Um, but that's the step of growth. That's refining my faith. And, and I'll tell you what, you grow your spiritual muscle. Trials grow the muscle of the soul. And the point is, is that as I go through this, God makes me stronger. I tell you, the last year again, as I review with my dad, it's been painful. It's for those of you who are caregivers, my heart goes out to you. I mean, I was just a partial caregiver. I didn't have him living in my home, and you know, it was only a year period. And I mean, some of you just are 
given all your time to somebody who is hurting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the pain you're going through. And you need Jesus more than ever. Uh, but I tell you what, over the last year, God has proven himself over and over and over again. Even though it's very painful to see my dad get Alzheimer's and go downhill, God has always been there as I've trusted in him. God has delivered. So if you don't have the faith, let me inform you. It works. This works. Satan wants to say to you, it doesn't work. Christianity doesn't work. God isn't there. God doesn't care about you. Why would he treat you in this way? And so many people wander from the faith because, no, 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 God didn't come through. He comes through if you wait long enough. He does. So. All right. Then we have deliver us uh, from the evil one. Uh, quickly here, um, we're in a spiritual battle, obviously, and Satan is organized with all his demons. Uh, uh, a third of the demons that fell out of uh, heaven when he uh, rebelled against God. Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan's army is the most well-trained, well-prepared, they have the best strategy, and they're the most experienced. 2,000 years, or really 4,000 years, that is, of experience, of working against us. All right? They've got your number, man. They've got your number. And they are coming after you. And there's different views of Satan. Most Christians don't think about Satan. They think problems come their way. Oh, that's just life. Yeah, I'll have to deal with it. Whatever. Other people see Satan everywhere. They get a flat tire. Oh, that was Satan. Satan had somebody put that nail right in that position. And they, he knew I'd take that way every time. That was Satan. Or they're having relational problems. And, and, and things are you know, you know, melting down in a relationship. That's Satan. Satan's the problem here when in reality it's them. They're the ones. The other person is fine. They're the ones who are selfish. They're the ones who won't forgive and things like that. But they'd rather blame it on Satan. So somewhere we have to find a balance. Satan's involved. In our lives. And he's out to get us. We see this in uh, 1 Peter 5 8. Be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We don't realize the danger that's out there. We protect our children, don't we? We're always supervising our children, making sure they're safe because there's predators out there. But, but we go out there in the world without God, our parent. We're just kind of wandering around. Oh, this is a fun place to be. Yeah, this is cool. Yeah. You know? We get eaten alive because Satan got us. We weren't aware. We just need to be aware. We need to put the spiritual armor on. We need to realize that we're fragile. All of us are fragile. My last point. All of us are fragile. I don't care if you're 75. You've walked with the Lord for 50 years. You can still seriously fall. And when you start thinking you can't seriously fall, Satan's got you right where he wants you. Sometimes we hear about Christian leaders or someone we respect falling. And they say, how can that be? I've gone to church with that person for 10 years or 20 years. And I know that person. They can't do that. Oh, yes, they can do that. Each one of us can do it. Satan can do it if we don't have the armor of God on, if we're not trusting of God, if we're not saying, God, deliver me from the evil one. Rescue me. Help me. You got to be you got to be humble to do that. Right. That's what you need to do every day. You need to say, God, Satan is after me. You're more powerful than him. I have nothing to worry about as long as I say, deliver me from Satan. Protect me. 
Isn't it beautiful? Oh, man, I have been so jazzed about the Lord's Prayer. Just think if you just build this into your day. Every day. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for these wonderful truths. Help us to continue to pray this prayer as You intended. In Christ's name, Amen. We get our ushers to come forward at this time. Hey, we want to look at some uh, fun pictures of what happened.